This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. To see a Neil and Buzz step onto the moon at nine years old, it was just so fundamentally inspiring. Commander Chris Hadfield captured the world's attention and admiration while he spent five months aboard the International Space Station earlier this year. Now that he's back on solid ground, he's written a book about his experiences. Today, he joins us to talk about an astronaut's guide to life on Earth. Plus, this Friday, the 6th annual Zoomer Life Conference was held here at the Zoomer Plex in Liberty Village. Healthcare was at the top of the agenda, and I was fortunate enough to host a panel where some of the brightest minds set their sights on finding solutions. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. To have a group like CARP, they know what their children are going through, they know what their grandchildren are going through, and to have them on side and to play such a, an important role, uh, I just, it, I'm just thrilled to be here. That's Prince Edward Island's Finance Minister Wes Sheridan at CARP's annual general meeting this Thursday. He's spearheading a campaign to reform the Canada Pension Plan, something that's been at the top of CARP's agenda for quite some time. We have an incredibly resource-rich country and there's no reason in the world that anyone should retire in this country without a respectful retirement income. This week, a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor made a very special debut at Boston Symphony Hall. Horner performed three songs he learned from a fellow inmate at the Theresienstadt concentration camp in the Czech Republic. And for the third piece, he was joined by the world-renowned cellist Yo-Yo Ma. The Nazis allowed prisoners at Theresienstadt to stage artistic performances because they presented the camp as a so-called model Jewish settlement for propaganda purposes. Horner frequented the cabarets, playing both the piano and the accordion. That's where he met Carl Svank, the composer of the pieces. Svank did not survive the genocide, but his musical legacy has. The performance benefited the Theresen Music Foundation, an organization dedicated to preserving the work of artists and musicians killed in the Holocaust. If you have heart disease, the flu shot could reduce your risk of a heart attack or stroke by more than half. A new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows patients who had a recent heart attack had a 55% lower risk of a major cardiac event after receiving the vaccine. Sophia Loren once served time in an Italian jail for tax evasion. Now Italy's top court has handed the 79-year-old legendary actress a victory in a nearly 40-year-long battle over back taxes. 
A Rome-based court has ruled that the actress was right when calculating tax owed on her 1974 income. At the time, tax officials said she should have paid more. In 1982, she returned to Italy voluntarily to be jailed, serving 17 days of a 30-day sentence. Now, she says, the long saga is finally over. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We have this system was created in the 1950s uh, in the image of our population at the time, a young population having babies, uh, needing only acute care. Today, we have an older population that needs chronic care. So we have to reshape the system in the vision of the people it should serve. That's André Picard, the Globe and Mail's health columnist, a man who's been named Canada's public health hero. He was setting up the discussion for our blue chip healthcare panel at the Zoomer Life conference on Friday. I was moderating the session on how to fix our system with André, Dominic Pilla, CEO of Shoppers Drug Mart, Susan Eng, CARP's VP of Advocacy, and Dr. Louis Francescuti, President of the Canadian Medical Association. Let's start the discussion uh, with you, Dr. Francescuti. Um, I've heard you say to audiences of physicians that unless physicians step up, they will lose their privileged position in the system. So I'm asking, shouldn't they give up some of that privileged position in the system to make everything go a little smoother? Society has a contract with physicians, and physicians are not living up to that contract. And unless physicians live up to the contract that society has with them, that contract will be rewritten. And so my challenge to the medical profession at General Counsel was, there's never been a greater opportunity for the profession to shine than now. And now what we have to do is take the excellence that we know is going on around the country, but unfortunately it's going on in isolated pockets, and bring that out. So we have to add accountability for everyone within the system. What does that mean on a practical level? Well, being accountable uh, for an individual means, you know, taking care of your health. You do have some responsibility. We often forget to talk about that. We talk a lot about our right to health care. We'll talk about our responsibility. Uh, For physicians, what does it mean? It means the social contract is that we've given you this power and privileged status, and in return, you are serving society. You're not just there to earn an income. Yes, they should get a good income, but there's a greater public service. For politicians, it means uh, don't just sit back and say, oof, these are uncomfortable things to talk about. Uh, You know, tackle the tough issues. Pharmacy, the community of pharmacy, wants to be part of the solution to allow us to have better clinical outcomes at lower cost. We believe in it. Uh, But it'll require a transformation. And what I'll tell you personally, this is not a public, but personally I believe it actually stems from aligning incentives, including patient incentives or penalties for behavior. You know, wouldn't it be interesting if you had to pay more if you showed up with a car accident and you weren't wearing your seatbelt? You know, what about smoking Uh, and so on? Would we be comfortable to align incentives? And what we know is incentives actually influence behavior. That's an economic truth. And if we could align incentives down the road, I think we'd get significant economy for better outcomes and help break down the silos, creating a multidisciplinary approach. And I think that's a big part of the solution. But politically, it's a difficult one. Susan, does that sound too scarily private sector. You know what? It sounds way too jargonish. And from the perspective of the user, the healthcare user consumer, if we're going to build a social contract where everybody's in it, as Dominic has said, and we realize that if we don't prevent illness now, the system, all of us, our taxes, our families will pay later, 
if we take that perspective and magnify it into how the system works, how the healthcare system works, how it is accountable, how doctors are accountable for the health of their patients. Maybe they get paid more if they all get cured, you know, or if they all stop smoking, if they all lose weight, if they all lose, they drop their blood pressure. If their pay is actually calibrate it to the health of their patients. Maybe we have accountability, but that's the way the system should be funded, should be accountable. And the only way you're going to get that accountability is that average citizens know what they are entitled to, what can be done, how they, which part of the system they have the pressure to get this change. And we tell everybody at the same time so they have a chance to actually influence the system. Okay. Uh, prevention, right? One of the things that I report on incessantly, exercise. Exercise, I mean, if there was a magic pill for anything, it's exercise. I'm sure that's one of the main reasons I recovered. But you still can't get people who don't want to exercise well, uh, to exercise. Well, that's easy. Kids should be bused to school and drop five kilometers from the school. <laughs> okay. I mean, and they walk the last five kilometers. You, you know, we have Generation X, yes. We've got Generation XXL coming down the pipeline. <laughs> We've got to do something about it, seriously. Because we know the benefits of exercise are directly related to your ability to learn. Directly. Focusing on us, on Zoomers, wow. and, and uh, we're getting older and we're going to have more health challenges. So what does it mean for our generation? Very simple. Sleep seven to eight hours a night. Take 10,000 steps a day if you can, or the equivalent, swimming, whatever. Eat more often, but eat less, and chew your food 40 times. And, and if the food you're eating won't rot in a couple of days, don't eat it. Like, why, why would you eat food that doesn't rot? <laughs> so I, I guess that's a, a call to action uh, for all of you. Thanks so much. I'd like to thank the panel, our fabulous blue chip healthcare panel, Dr. Louis Francescuti, Andre Picard, Dominic Pilla, and Susan Eng. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thank you. For more information on Zoomer Health and Wellness, you can check out the Sun Life Financial Zoomer Show. It's running until 5 p.m. today at Toronto's Direct Energy Centre. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Stay tuned. In just a moment, we'll talk to Canada's rock star astronaut, Commander Chris Hadfield. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. He did us proud as Canadians and captured the imagination of the world as commander of the International Space Station. Now that he's back on terra firma, Chris Hadfield is launching a memoir called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. I sat down with Chris Hadfield to learn how he made his impossible dream a reality. Now, you wanted to be an astronaut from the age of nine. Yeah, phenomenal. Huh? That, I mean, the odds are terrible. There's no way that it, this should have worked out. But, uh, but uh, the nine-year-old who chose my career was, uh, was prescient. Here you are, you're nine years old, and you describe how at the age of nine, uh, instead of just playing spaceship, you started to do things which would lead you in this path. And it struck me as, uh, you know, I think Possibly you're a little more disciplined and focused than most of us are. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, to see uh, Neil and Buzz step onto the moon at nine years old, it was just so uh, fundamentally inspiring. I just started thinking about 
how do, how do you do that? How do you get there? How do you get there from here? And, and amazingly enough, I got there. Now, you describe being a test pilot and, and how much you love that, but you also describe a moment where you were thinking of, of giving it all up. It just you had a family, you weren't making a lot of money, you were uh, living in these out-of-the-way places. So <laughs> how did you uh, overcome that? To her blessed credit, my wife talked me out of it and, and said, there, you don't need to give up on your dreams quite yet. We are not starving. We have shoes. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're making it and things are going to get better. And so don't give up because if you give up on those dreams now, then you are going to have that as a burr under your saddle for the rest of your life. A couple of things really struck me. So you were saying that a lot of self-help gurus say uh, that you should visualize victory yeah. and and – your mantra is that you should visualize defeat and sort of rehearse uh, how to avoid it. The way that we do it in the astronaut corps and the way that I do it as a person is actually visualize the disaster. Think about what could happen if. Look, so you and I are talking on these microphones. So if this microphone fails or if I get laryngitis or if – Whatever, we have a power failure. If just, okay, let's, let's think about that for a minute. How bad is it? How are we going to deal with it? And if you and I had sat down for an hour before this and gone over 15 scenarios and then talked our way through all of them to exactly how we were going to resolve them, then when something happened, we would have had a shared base to deal with it and both of us would be completely comfortable because we would have gone, well, yeah, we already talked about that and we have a plan and it's okay. And you can treat everything in your life that way. So that then when actual event happens, you, you have a calm. So you tell this story of being in a flight with an instructor and uh, you messed up the flight, but, but he looked at your record and he gave you a pass on it. Correct. And uh, your reaction to that was that you doubled or tripled your efforts to be prepared for your flights. Now, when I was reading that to me, Everybody has a bad day. Um, you know, it, it seemed like an excessive reaction. If you're a lion tamer, you don't want to have a bad day, right? Or, or if you train sharks for a living or, uh, or, or if, you know, or even if you're a Formula One driver, it, it depends. A, a bad day will kill you as well as when you're a training pilot in the military where you only get a very small finite number of chances to mess up before they say, no, he just doesn't have the right stuff. He's out of here. You are you may be messing around with your life, but you're very much messing around with your entire career. Being on the space station all that time, so you talk about how personalities become more important. How yeah. was it from that point of view? If you are going to train with someone for years at, a, at an almost um, a family level of seeing each other and staying in the same place and eating together and spending days together, and then at the end of years of of training and travel together, then getting into a confined space with them that neither of you can leave for the better part of half a year, it's hard to put up with some personality types. A great insecurity or, or a, uh, a very gregarious type of personality that just needs external stimuli or, or the, a reaction to their own um, selves in order to feel good about themselves. You want a, a kind of a reserved personality type, someone who would rather do something for you than, than have you do something for them. If you had to pick one moment out of all of it, which one would you pick? 
I was um, in the cupola, which is our window on the world. It's like a, um, a barnacle that hangs down towards the world and you float into it upside down. But when you float into it upside down, you feel like you're right side up because the world appears above you. Tom Marshburn, one of the guys I flew with, Tom and I were taking a couple minutes to look at the world. And we'd just come across Australia and it was nighttime. And we came up over Indonesia and Malaysia and there was a storm like I've never seen in my life, a thousand mile long line of super powerful clouds and lightning. And it was lightning, lightning like art. It was a lightning bolt that would travel 500 miles and it was wide, like someone had taken a huge white highlighter and suddenly put this huge bolt across the cloud with branches coming out of it looking like like letters or, or a big cross. And, and there was a lightning bolt every few seconds, and it went on for minutes. And, and Tom and I were, were both there going, look at that. Look what the world is doing. Look what the world is showing us right now. And we felt like the world was showing us a secret. Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that in my life, and you could only see it from where we were. But I, I liked it more, far more because I had somebody to share it with and that uh, it is a, a little f maybe five-minute period in time that Tom and I shared together that when he and I are 90 years together old sitting rocking chairs on a porch somewhere, we're going to lean over every five minutes and go, remember that storm over Indonesia? That was cool. That was beautiful. Well, it's nice to have you back on Earth, Chris Hadfield. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Really nice to talk with you. Chris Hadfield's An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth is published by Random House Canada. I'm Louise Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up next, we'll hear the iconic song that Chris recorded while he was working on the space station. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Tony Award winner Blythe Danner and Emmy winner Sarah Jessica Parker star in The Commons of Pensacola. Danner plays Parker's mother in this play about a woman whose husband's Wall Street scandal disrupts their family life. The Commons of Pensacola is in previews at City Center Stage 1 on West 55th Street. In Washington, D.C., the visual history of yoga is the focus of a new exhibition. Yoga, the Art of Transformation features temple structures, devotional icons, and manuscripts, as well as early photographs, books, and films about yoga. To London, England. All you want to do is ride. The Commitments is a stage production at the Palace Theatre. In an adaptation of Roddy Doyle's 1987 novel about a fictional Dublin cover band. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. Before we leave you today, we'll hear a song Chris Hadfield recorded while he was on the space station. The video of the recording has gone viral with over 18 million views, and it's officially the first music video ever to be recorded in space. I'll let Chris take over and explain how it happened. It was such a joy to show up at the space station and find on board a Canadian guitar and have a chance to sing and play and celebrate floating weightless in space. And how could you do that better 
than to take the absolutely iconic space song and play it and then have friends mix in music and then have it released to the world in a video. Uh, so this is my version from space of uh, David Bowie's classic, Space Oddity. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Lock your Soyuz hatch and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown engines on. Detach from station and may God's love be with you. That was Chris Hadfield with his version of David Bowie's Space Oddity, recorded on the International Space Station earlier this year. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we talk to Canadian diplomat Ken Taylor on the anniversary of the start of the Iranian hostage crisis. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air and The Garden Show.